0: We are on a journey uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, we are here at chapter 16 beginning at verse 13 and uh, this will be quite a well-known passage for those people uh, who have been around church and read Matthew through uh, a few times and stuff so um, so we hope to get something fresh out of it something different out of it uh, just as we come uh, today so it simply begins at verse 13 it says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. At the point of the story in Matthew where Jesus has come away from the crowd. He's speaking to just the disciples. He's in an area uh, called Caesarea Philippi. And this particular area was associated with, uh, with idols and other gods. Uh, scattered with temples the Syrian Baal worship and stuff. And, and it was supposed to be the great birthplace of the, the, the false god Pan, the god of nature. And it's against his background, Jesus asked his disciples this most important question. Now, not the first question, which is, who do people say I am? But the second question, which is extremely important, when he actually says, well, who do you say I am? Now, Jesus didn't ask this question Because he didn't know who he was or he just needed some identity affirmation from the people closest to him and stuff. He he, he wasn't looking for the opinion of others in a sense. He he asked this question because this passage is a turning point for the disciples. And what he has for them further down the line. We're on a journey all the way through Matthew. The disciples have got to come to both a realisation and as Peter does, a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You see, we see in the story that some thought Jesus was a prophet of national repentance almost, like calling like John the Baptist was. Other people thought he was a famous work for miracles, like Elijah. <clears throat> Even others thought he was someone who spoke the words of God, like Jeremiah and stuff. And, and seeing Jesus in all of these roles is important, but it's not the essential reason it's not that the why he came and the who he is and all of these sort of underestimate him a little bit but this point is really key in the story here and it's this that this is a key moment in Matthew's story because until Jesus's core disciples truly understood his identity they would not truly understand the gospel uh, this is why this is so important we, we have a great hindsight as we read the bible And and we read the complete story. We can read the complete story in one go. We can take it from the beginning to the end. We have to imagine for a second here with the disciples that that they don't have that. That they're on this journey with Jesus. Jesus has called them out of their professions. That he's going around healing people and uh, preaching the good news. He's, He's aggravating the religious teachers, the Pharisees and stuff. But this comes to this point here a key moment of them understanding actually who Jesus is so it could be all of those other things but it's not the essential of who he is and what he's come to do because once they fully know who he is that they could begin to represent him in the world Peter's response in the following verse reveals he understands who Jesus is now whether Peter had had a discussion in a sense with some of the others but there was a realization here among the disciples on the journey that they're on that they're understanding through the realization of what jesus is doing but here the revelation that peter receives of who jesus is so peter's confession was twofold he was both the promised messiah and the divine deity of christ that could only be known by divine revelation so Peter understood that Jesus was not only God's Messiah but also God himself and the Jews would have thought this was blasphemy they would have thought that this is sacrilege to go against to call somebody the son of the living God to call somebody actually God themselves but this is revealed to Peter by revelation and Jesus reveals to Peter that he spoke this by divine inspiration even if Peter didn't know it at the time he reveals this great truth that is that that written here in Matthew. And this is only to the disciples. It's only round to the disciples, not to uh, the crowd. Uh, and so they have to understand, listen, we see this, that before they could preach that Jesus was the Messiah, they had to learn what that meant. Uh, the gospel message has one theme. It's the good news about Jesus. So <clears throat> when Jesus calls them, uh, in the start of Acts and says you will be my witnesses he says they are witnesses to something they have viewed with their eyes something that they have witnessed something that they know they're only going to preach the truth about Jesus once they understand the truth about Jesus once in a sense they're prepared to die for this truth with, which they do which they that they, they do with their lives but they have to understand is that the gospel message Simply one theme, it's the good news about Jesus. Peter has perceived, believed, has been inspired about this divine truth. And he doesn't stop with recognising that Jesus is a fulfilment of the promise that he's God's saviour. He declares that Jesus is in fact the son of God. Now what we must understand here is uh, actually in the original language that it's actually more emphatic which means it stands out more that actually the sentence says something very different it says this in the original language of the Greek that Peter says you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Living One now the key there is that word the that he's not saying ah he's not saying you are a Messiah, a Son of God Uh, he's not saying that he's saying that almost singularly just just that on its own that Peter has got this revelation that that he is sharing not only with Jesus but also with the other disciples it's that emphatic statement that just simply has got hold of this here of understanding who Jesus is now Jesus responds with what has become a a controversial statement in a sense uh, because roman catholics would point to what jesus says here the evidence that jesus established peter as the first holder of a special office in the church on earth they believe peter to have been the first pope so jesus gave him a spiritual authority when peter said these words that he turned around and then said he says upon this rock i will build my church but that's not what jesus is saying and it's important for us to understand that uh today The claim is not that on the rock that is Peter that he will build the church. It's on the rock which is the statement. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That's the rock that the church is built upon. So the rock is not Peter as an individual because again looking at the original language it, it changes slightly in the words that Jesus says for us to understand that. And Michael spoke on this on Tuesday night and stuff and one of the great thoughts that he had was this every time the rock is mentioned in the Old Testament it's always spoken of God. It's always spoken of God. So there's no necessity for it to change here. There's nothing that, that needs to be said to That's not, Peter is not the rock that the church is built on. The rock that the church is built on is the truth that he has declared. You are Christ, the son of the living God. But there is no doubt that Peter had a special place among all the disciples and that he had some special privileges in a sense. He does stand out. As a leader of the apostles, the representative of them. His name always comes first in any of the apostles listening. If you read anywhere in the New Testament of the names of the disciples, the apostles, his name always comes first. In the book of Acts, you see that he opens the door uh, to preach the gospel to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 10, he preaches a message to Cornelius to open the door. To the Gentiles, Uh, Peter also acts as a representative of of Christ in acts of judgment. He condemns Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. But it's important for us to understand this. That none of this elevates Peter above anybody else to an exclusive spiritual position other than this truth. He was somebody that was just greatly used by God. That, that's really the, the conclusion that we have to come to here when, when Jesus makes this statement. The second thing I can say about it is this, is the statement that Jesus makes next was a clear claim of ownership about what Jesus intended to do when he said, I will build my church, not the church, uh, not a church, but my church the first time the church is mentioned Jesus claims the absolute ownership over it and say what's getting built from here on out what's happening there after I leave earth after I ascend to heaven after I've done everything I need to do here is I will build my church not the church it would have been so easy to say the church or a church but had he said that then he would have put the ownership upon us as people And I've no doubt had the ownership been put on us as people the church would have probably failed in the first 50 years. The truth that it is his church is why 2,000 years later we're still sitting in a church as the church because it's his church. Uh, and that's why he, he makes that statement. So we have that first mention of the word church here, and church is not a religious word. It, it just refers to an assembly of people uh, with a common purpose. And so for us, the church are God's people who are in Christ. that That's the church. He says that's if you want to give just a simple definition of who the church is, those are in Christ. That's it. The invitation was given by Jim at the table. To say, well, if you know the Lord Jesus as your personal saviour, you know, then that, that's, you're in Christ. That's the invitation to be part of the church. It says, we have added lots of sometimes silly rules on, silly laws on, things that we say to people that you must be to be part of the church. But the, the reality is, it actually, to be part of the church, you just have to be in Christ. Now, that could be a whole other how many bible studies and ephesians is always a great book to look at if you want to look at that subject but really that's it the common theme that we have today is not age is not background is not even nationality is not even intellect education none of those things the church this morning we are in christ and that's us we are in Christ it's his church and so here we see in Ephesians 2 verse 19 he says consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household that's why we gather today all those differences that we have and Jim talked about the doors as we come through those doors they sort of blend and melt together don't they all of us from different places different nationalities all of those different things that I talked about have just come in together that's it and and Paul says it here he says we're no longer foreigners and strangers but we're fellow citizens fellow citizens with each other members of his household and so we see that the church is the company of redeemed believers who gather together to worship God how valuable it is well it's been paid for with the highest price when Paul leaves the church in Ephesus in Acts 20 he speaks to the elders there when he gives them this challenge he says this to them he says keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood that's how valuable it is the most valuable if we could think of the preciousness the value of the church well it has been paid for with the highest price his own blood and so Jesus moves on as he talks about the church he says this he says the gates of hades or the gates of hell means the power of death cannot prevent the advance of the kingdom nor claim victory over those who belong to God And so we know that those gates of Hades and hell represent all the demons and evil strategies that Satan can marshal in an attempt to destroy the church uh, to oppose his mission in the world. We have been on a mission uh, from when Jesus declared it at the end of Matthew uh, to send the apostles out to go into all the world and make disciples. He says though we see that evil may prevail... And, and we see that when he got to watch the news when he got to see stuff that we know about things happening and stuff that though evil may prevail the promise that Christ gives here is that it will never triumph over the church and, and and the truth of that is is that we can see evidence of that because we're here today we're here today though evil may prevail and and we see that all around us it will not triumph over the church and Jesus is doing two things here he's declaring two promises one that the forces of death and darkness can't prevail against or conquer the church because it's his church not our church and stuff and so it's a promise to hold on to in dark or discouraging times and the different seasons that the church goes through we hold on to it this promise because though so things come against us and they will prevail sometimes uh, but they will not triumph over us because he is the head of the church and so we see here that he is stating that the church will be empowered to continue in the privileged responsibility of demonstrating his kingdom power and provision and, and that's important that last point but when jesus sends out the disciples in the great commission that's really the challenge that he is giving them but giving us as well and it's why we do the things that we do because we have this privileged responsibility of carrying on the commission the mission of jesus christ as his church and so we see here that jesus is going to tell them then well how are they going to do this Because he says, well, I'm going to give you some keys. Now, keys denote authority, permission, don't they? If you have the key to get in, you have the authority to get into a certain place. If I give you a key to my house, that means I'm allowing you, I'm not going to, but I allow you the authority and the permission to come into my house. So if I come home one day and you're sitting there with your feet up, eating my Frosties, drinking my coffee, he says, and I say, what are you doing here? You could turn around and say, well, you gave me your keys. That gives you the authority and the permission to be here. Now, if one day I come into my house and you're sitting there and with your feet up, eating my Frosties, drinking my coffee, and I haven't given you a key, you don't have the authority or the right Or the permission to be there. But I have the right, the authority and the permission to give you the right boot of fellowship out the door. That's the reality. And Jesus is doing this as he speaks about the keys. Keys get you into a room. And if you arrive at church to open up in the morning, you have to have the key to get in. If you arrive at the front door of your house, you have to have the key to get in and Jesus is using this here as an illustration it's the right to enter and he's giving them the authority and you see God's kingdom is one as we've seen in Matthew already it's a kingdom that is to be entered it's a kingdom that is to that you you go into Jesus presents an invitation You accept the invitation, you respond to the invitation by going in. In Matthew 7 verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's the key. That's the key that Jesus gives those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And so we can often say there are lots of other things that people will say, well, you know what, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer and stuff. But actually, Jesus is quite specific there in what he says to be part of the kingdom, to part of holding onto the key. So once we have the key, he then speaks to us about the binding and loosing. Now, in daily Jewish life, they would have understood these terms the disciples would have understood them because it has to do with the law once again that that a Jewish person was either bound by the law which means they had to hold on to the law or, or they were loosed in regard to the law which means they were free from the law so to loose was to permit to bind was to prohibit and so to loose was to feed from the law, to bind was to put under the law. And so they would recognize this as what they were allowed to do and what they were forbidden to do. And Jesus is giving a, almost a prophetic example of what it will mean to be part of his kingdom, part of his church uh, further down the line to the apostles who are going to establish the early church. In the book of Acts. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Through being the witnesses of what Jesus has said. And done. So we could say this. That they have been given the keys. The authority. To bind demons. To, to heal disease. To set free the prisoners of sin. Addictions and sickness. From their bondage and captivity. But we don't stop there. In Jesus name. That's the key. In Jesus' name, I have no power within myself. There is nothing within me, no amount of praying, no amount of studying the word, though that is all helpful, will make any difference to what I do unless it's done in the name of Jesus, unless it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the keys and the authority and the permission that Jesus gives to his church. We can't do it in our own strength. There is nothing that we can do in our own strength. We take what we have been given from him. But to set somebody free, it'll not make any difference how many times I set you free in the power of Matt Davis. Matt Davis doesn't have any power. He says, Jesus Christ has all the power. We're just uh, the, 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 we're just, I was going to say, we're just the tubes, but that means something different, doesn't it? We're just, uh, we're just the flow. In a sense, we're just a middleman that God uses, a middle man or the middle woman, that God uses, because nothing can be achieved or done unless it's done in Jesus' name. You see here we see that if you are bound by sin, you are loosened by the preaching of the gospel, declaring freedom through Jesus Christ. The opportunity is ours, but the power is His. To uh, get, the opportunity is ours. It's it's why, in a sense, that we do this. It's why tonight we'll gather at half past six again. Uh, Because as we preach, we're believing that that God is going to do something, the, the power of his spirit, in Jesus' name. And so we provide the opportunity, but we don't have any power to go with that opportunity. He has all the power. It's why when Jesus says to the disciples, go into all the world. He says he's not being very specific there. The specific bit tells you, comes next, doesn't he? Go and make disciples. Uh, and, and that's the specific bit. And he's telling us what to do as we have the opportunity, but he gives us the power to do it. So we can never turn around and say, well, I, I don't really feel the power, I don't really have anything. Listen, we just have the opportunity. He gives us the power. Everything is done in Jesus' name. As we come and do that. So he delegates his authority out to the church. For everything that's done in his name. Matthew 28:18. Jesus came to them and said. All authorities in heaven and earth. Has been given to me. Jesus says. Then he says to the disciples. Therefore go and make disciples. Of all nations. Baptizing them. In the name of the father. And the son. And the holy spirit. We see what Jesus does there. He says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you as the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. But do it this way. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, the danger is here when you read this passage. Some people think that this means that Jesus is speaking to Peter. And he's given Peter the authority, in a sense, to admit people to heaven. You may have seen those cartoons where Peter stands at the pearly gates with one of the things and people come and Peter decides whether people are coming in. It's complete nonsense. And so Peter hasn't been given any authority to do that. That's not what he's doing here. He says Peter Jesus gave Peter the keys. He gave him the authority. But he didn't give him that to pass on to future generations. It wasn't him to pass on to everybody else. Everything we have, we have from Christ. That's why we don't look to the man or to the woman. We look to Jesus Christ. And there's not a verse in scripture that supports Peter's authority or any of the apostles' authority that what they had was to be passed on because their authority had come from Jesus Christ alone. And so we understand this, that Jesus was giving them both the permission and the authority for the first church as they come and they plant that first church they ground that first church in the essential truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's freeing the disciples up in a sense because they're on they're on this tremendous journey uh, and as we work our way through Matthew we're 16 chapters through uh, I suppose we could we could see it like this now the Christ disciples have been on a journey They're invited to be fishers of men. They're invited to be lights to the world. In Matthew 10, they're they're invited to be witnesses who proclaim the message of the kingdom. As they come to the end, they're going to be commissioned to teach the nations all that Christ commanded. And in all of that they are going to do, they are building on the foundation of the revelation of this solid truth. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the truth that's been built upon. The truth of the church is there a truth that this church is built on well, it's there. You are the Messiah, you are Christ, the Son of the Living God. What is the answer for people in the world today? He is Christ, the Son of the Living God. Who can be set free from sin, oppression, addictions today? He is Christ, the Son of the Living God. This is not just historical texts that sounded good in the past that we bring up this morning and say oh that's a wonderful thought that Matthew makes how does it affect us today how does it apply to us today Well, well it's the answer today isn't it it's the answer he says to everything he says he is Christ the son of the living God what's the answer for the world today it's this he is Christ the son of the living God Everything that people need, everything that people desire, they will look everywhere for it. But we have the answer, don't we? He is Christ, the Son of the living God. And here, Peter receives it by revelation of the Spirit. That revelation, and when God reveals things to us, it leads to a realisation, doesn't it? And what a wonderful thought as I thought about this for Peter. This truth was burning inside of him. Peter, the one who was a fisherman, the one who often made mistakes, the one who failed often, and we'll see in a few verses later. It wasn't long before we messed it up again. But we see in this passage, this, this story here, he says he makes that great truth about who Jesus is. He knew the truth and he had to share it. And so when Jesus asked the question, Peter offered that answer. You see, it's a truth that we must declare, isn't it? Once it's taken up residence in our heart, it's only a matter of time before we make it public. There's nothing better than speaking about Christ, is there? says when people say to you, what is it about you that's different? Oh, I have Christ. What do you mean you have Christ? Let me tell you about him, the difference that he's made in my life. It's a burning truth within you that you want to get out there and share with people, whether it be the individual, whether it be the crowd. And often the Lord will prompt us like he did with Peter. Uh, When we're asked that question, who do you say I am? Who is he to you? Who do you say that he is? Says I think as we come to the conclusion here, he's the king of the kingdom. He's the builder of the kingdom. It's his kingdom. Everything that prevails against us will not defeat us. And it made me think as I come to this part, we come to this almost central passage in Matthew. The disciples have come to this great realisation and revelation. and, And really this is just a simple thought that finishes with it. That what's it about Jesus Christ? Nothing more, nothing less and nothing else. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Father, there's a tremendous realization in that revelation that Peter gives that fires us up today. That, that there is nothing that will prevail against the church, there is nothing that would defeat the church uh, because it's his church. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you didn't leave it for us for we know we would not have survived long we thank you that it's because it's his church we can declare as though we were there at that point Peter says it he is still Christ he is still the son of the living God and for that we just say thank you thank you to